We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Peter and the 5th chapter. The book of 1 Peter and the 5th chapter, as we continue our verse-by-verse series through this chapter. And I'll be reading and preaching this morning on verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. I invite you to read along silently as I read aloud this morning. Here Peter writes, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Let's pray. God and Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering today to worship you in spirit and in truth, and we would pray that our worship would be pleasing to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ would be exalted and honored today. And we ask now for the work of the Holy Spirit, for his powerful, effectual work that only he can do, and granting us an understanding of this text and helping us to apply it to our own lives and circumstances in such a way that our minds are renewed, our hearts are cheered, our hope is restored, and our fortitude is strengthened. Bless us in all these ways, we pray this morning. In Jesus' blessed name, amen. As believers, you and I are to live with the humble recognition that we are not in control, that we are not the ones who are calling all the shots. We are not the ones who are independently determining our own destinies, but rather we live under God's sovereign control. We live under the power and safety of God's mighty hand, and we are to dwell there confidently, contentedly, calmly, And as our text says this morning, humbly, humbly. Peter writes to his audience here and to us in our text that we are to humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. For since it is God who has the power to oppose the proud, it is God who has the power to bestow grace abundantly on the humble or the lowly, then we are to submit to his sovereign rule. We are to submit to his leadership over our present circumstances. In fact, in the context of what Peter has been teaching here in this chapter, Peter is describing the posture that you and I are to assume each and every day, each and every day, as we wait for God to intervene on our behalf, or as we choose to trust in God's care, rather than to live in a state of anxiety. I don't have to tell you, brethren, there are many today living in a state of anxiety. Whereas believers, we are not to despair, thinking that God has forgotten our lowly estate, nor are we to live worried and uneasy lives, but rather we are to be mindful of the mighty hand of God we now live and dwell under. 
Why does Peter remind us of this? Well, some commentators have suggested that Peter reminds us here of God's mighty hand in an effort to motivate us, to motivate you, to motivate me through fear to pursue humility and to pursue the things that we need. In fact, some commentators have appealed to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31, which says this, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And they insist that God's hands as a biblical symbol represents God's power to do harm to those who are proud and that God's mighty hand can come down upon us if we are too proud. And yet, beloved, we need to be very careful how we interpret the message of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31, and especially in light of our spiritual and privileged status as those who have been justified freely by God's saving grace. For Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31 is not intended to intimidate those who are already striving to live under the command to be humble. But rather, it is a warning to those who had been exposed to the gospel of Christ, but who were now going back to the types and the symbols of Old Testament Judaism instead of believing in Christ. For to reject Jesus Christ, to go back to the beggarly elements of the Old Testament was indeed a fearful thing to ponder. To reject Christ is to put oneself in serious danger. To reject Jesus Christ is to put oneself under God's hand in judgment. In fact, to face God as the judge, to be under his hand in the sense of being under his wrath and his displeasure is the greatest thing to be feared. And to be viewed as an enemy of God, to be exposed to the might and the condemnation of God as one who is actually outside of grace is to be in the worst possible condition. The worst possible condition. In fact, I wonder how many of us listening today are actually placing ourselves in this dangerous and precarious position. For we have heard the truth of the gospel, and we know that there is forgiveness with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We know that there is no spiritual life to be found in some purely outward and empty form of religion that has no power to save us. And yet many of us, because of the fear of identifying with Christ or because of the unwillingness to break with traditions that keep us in spiritual bondage, we draw back rather than coming forward to Christ. We keep ourselves, as it were, under the hand of God's wrath as opposed to his mercy. Oh, if this is you today, see what hand you are now under See it. See where your unbelieving fears have misled and misdirected you. See where your past adherence to a lifeless and powerless form of religion has kept you from Jesus Christ and it has not brought you into a saving relationship with him. 
For if we have not left our fears and our superstitions behind and come to Christ for salvation, then we are still under God's hand of judgment. And this must change if there is any hope of enjoying that eternal rest that God gives to his people. I plead with you, if you're an unbeliever today, to hear these words, to ponder them, and to believe savingly on the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we are believers today, we are not under God's mighty hand in the sense of condemnation and judgment. Did you hear that? We are not under God's mighty hand in the sense of condemnation or judgment. We are not under God's hand in the sense that we should fear what might happen to us if that mighty hand were to come down upon us and crush us. No, beloved, we are now under God's mighty hand in the sense that it is our place of spiritual safety and security and especially in times of great suffering and trial. In fact, that's the context of this entire book of 1 Peter, isn't it? Suffering and trial. Now we are in a place of safety and security under his mighty hand. In fact, throughout all of Scripture, we see references to God's hand and to God's right hand especially, which denotes a place of favor as a place of protection a place of protection against those forces that would assault us and harass us as God's people. For example, in Psalm 17, verses 6 and 7, we find this stirring prayer from the psalmist David. He says, I call upon you, for you answer me, O God, incline your ear, hear my words, Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from all their adversaries at your right hand. A hand of favor. Then we read in Psalm 31, a psalm of David and a messianic psalm, these words of humility and confidence in verses 12 through 15 of Psalm 31. David writes, I have been forsaken like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side. Have you ever been in that situation? Terror on every side. As they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O God. I say to you, you are my God. My times, or the span of my life, my security throughout life, are in what? Your hand. Your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors, unquote. For it is under the mighty hand of God that we have been placed. It is under the mighty hand of God that you and I are preserved throughout this life. It is under God's mighty hand where we find our deliverance and our rescue. Then, of course, as we come to the New Testament, we're not surprised to find our Lord Jesus, who loved the Psalms of the Old Testament, who not only quoted them but fulfilled them, speaking of his sheep as being protected, not just under, but actually within the hand of his 
father when it comes to their protection against all who might try to pry and might try to prey upon them. For Jesus declared in John chapter 10 verses 27 through 29, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Therefore, when you and I, as the justified of God, read of God's mighty hand, we are not to cower in fear. Do you hear that? We are not to cower in fear. We are not to think that God is capable of turning his hand against us in the sense of refusing to accept us. No, may we never have distorted views of our Heavenly Father and of His care, of our Father's hand. May we never think of being under His mighty hand as a place of oppression or cruel intimidation or final rejection as though God's mighty hand might suddenly turn against us, that it might suddenly crush us, that it hangs over us, always threatening us. For this is not what Peter is communicating here in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 when he exhorts us to humble ourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. Where the mighty hand of God that we are to humble ourselves under is also the tender and gentle hand of a loving father. The gentle and tender hand of a loving father. It is a hand that we are to find rest and safety under, knowing that it is a mighty hand, a hand that is mightier than any other, a hand that will shield us from all harm, a, a hand that will always uphold us when everything else is falling down all around us, a hand that will not let us go, a hand that we can't be shaken loose from or stole away from. It is the hand of the one who made the heavens and the earth. It is the hand of the one who sustains all things and holds them in their given place. It is the hand of the one who guides all things to their appointed destination and outcome. No, it is not the hand that we are to be in dread fear of, but the hand that we are to trust in, the hand that we are to rest in, the hand that we are to rejoice in. Not only that, but it is the hand that we are to wait patiently on, knowing that God will not forget us in our struggles and in our trials and in our adversities in life. Peter states here in verse 6 that God will at the proper time, with that mighty hand, exalt us or lift us up. For it is not God's will that we wait indefinitely for our deliverance. It is not God's will that we live with a perpetual sense of uncertainty as to whether he intends for us to be lifted up from our circumstances. In fact, if we find ourselves habitually doubting that God's intention is to exalt us at the proper or the right time, then we will be easily discouraged and distressed 
which would not show him honor, but rather it is God's will, based upon verse 6 here, that we can be certain of two things. Two things. First, we can be certain that although the path that God has called us to travel on calls for humility, although this path often calls for us to be brought down very low, even to the point of genuine discomfort, it is God's, it is not God's will to keep us there. It is not God's will to keep us there. No, just as there is a divine purpose for all things, just as there was a divine purpose for Christ's sufferings, which Christ endured patiently, knowing that there was exaltation for him to come. So we likewise must be confident. We likewise must be certain that it is God's intention to exalt us also. It is God's intention to lift you up, to lift me up in due time. For while our exaltation will be nothing to, in comparison to what Christ's exaltation was, we shall experience, even in this imperfect life, the uplifting influence of God's presence and power in our lives. We shall know better days, even in this life, than the ones that we are currently struggling through. Because our current struggles, brethren, are but a very light affliction in the light of eternity. They are a very light affliction when compared to what God has already prepared for us as his people in the future, for the future, the future that God has in store for us, for those who are genuinely humble in the spirit, includes our being lifted high, includes our being exalted, our being lifted up, as opposed to our being discouraged and cast down. And, and when will this happen? Well, notice here, secondly, that we will be exalted at the proper time. At the proper time. At that time when God has ordained for his own glory to be exalted. At that time when God will fulfill good for us. At that time when it is most apparent that he, God, is sovereignly working to bring all things to pass as he pleases. At that time that honors him the most. It's at that time we'll be exalted. Not our time at that time for our deliverance our exaltation from our lonely position will come at that time at that very hour that is most proper at that time that God sees best in view of his own glorious and eternal purposes in Jesus Christ therefore let us not fret let us not grow weary in doing well as we patiently wait for our deliverance. For we shall not be in danger any longer than our loving Father has appointed us to be in. We shall not be in hardship any longer than our loving Father has appointed us to be in them. We will not miss his kind deliverance, which shall come at just the right Indeed, let us rest calmly. Let us rest patiently. Let us rest confidently in the truth that I quoted from earlier in Psalm 31 and verse 15, which says this, My time 
our times are in your hand, are in your hand. I want you to think about that for a moment in respect to your own life today. I want you to ponder it for just a moment. Your time, the span of your life, the whole of your existence, all of your happiness is in his hand. For if we truly believe, brethren, that the times and the seasons of our lives are progressively unfolding just as God ordered and that God is eager to exalt us as his people when the proper time arrives, then we won't be stressed about the way that things are unfolding. We won't be. Because our God is now at the helm. He's directing what is unfolding according to his own purposes. In fact, if God is leading us on this path that we are now following on, there is nothing random in any way unscheduled about what is happening to us at this time in our lives. Nothing random, nothing unscheduled. If God is truly committed to exalting us, to lifting you and I up as the evidence of, of his sovereign control over our lives and as the clear and undeniable manifestation of his love towards us, then we shouldn't question whether God will act for us when the time is right. We should not question whether God will do what he does in the exact way that he does it for our own ultimate spiritual good. We shouldn't allow those types of thoughts to occupy our minds, for we know that as an absolutely good and caring God, God cannot do less than that which promotes his own glory. He's glorified when we are cared for. He can do nothing less than that which promotes the ultimate happiness of his own people. In fact, if God could do anything less than direct the unfolding of our lives, if God were to do anything less than ensure that you and I are lifted up at the proper time, then he would not be what his word promises that he is for his people who look to him daily. And so knowing all of this, knowing that God is a loving overseer and superintendent in our lives, extending his mighty hand over our paths and protecting us along the way, and knowing that our God has every intention of raising us up at the proper time should free us, free us, from the fear over our present circumstances. It should keep us focused on the blessings that are ours by being his in Jesus Christ. In fact, it's, it's fascinating to notice here, moving on in verse 7, how we are to respond to life's circumstances and to our own insecurities once we are profoundly mindful of God's mighty hand over us, once we are mindful of his profound promise disposition towards us for Peter writes here in verse 7 notice this for rather than fretting over our trying circumstances rather than growing resentful because our circumstances do not seem to fit what we feel that they should look like we should act instead by casting all our anxieties on him for rather than fretting how many of us tend to fret? Many of us. Rather than doubting, rather than questioning, rather than complaining 
about the hardships and trials in life that we should be not facing, Peter says instead, we should be casting them. Interesting expression, casting all your anxieties. Peter's language of casting here is profoundly appropriate for one who was formerly a fisherman, from one who casted out boats from the shoreline. In fact, many Bible commentators have picked up this association from Peter's past, and they have stressed the nature of casting a fishing boat into the water. For in order to cast out a boat from the shoreline, one must first exert one's effort to push the boat out and away first, and then let go of it as it moves out into deeper water. And of course, the same must be said about our cares and anxieties in life. Listen to the analogy just for a moment. If it does not grip and hold your conscience... For as long as we hold on to our anxieties, as long as we give them harbor in our own hearts and in our own lives, as long as we allow them to dominate over our thoughts, as long as we refuse to cast them away, as long as we refuse to release them from us, we give them rule over us. And we easily become distracted and despairing and discontented. In fact, I wonder today how many of us would openly admit, would openly admit that we are still holding on to a source of anxiety. We are still holding on to a burden or a source of worry or care that we should have cast away from us a long time ago. Is that you? Are you still holding on to the edge of the boat, refusing to cast it away? Refusing to push it away? Refusing to release it altogether? If we're still holding on to it as opposed to casting it away, as we're being instructed to do here, what must it take before we release it? Oh, dear friends, who are we to hold on to that which God commands us to release? Who are you and I to give harbor to an anxiety that God tells us to cast away? Who are we to hold on to it? What causes us to hold on to it? Is it not pride? Is it not a sense of ownership over our lives and over our circumstances in a way that does not acknowledge God's sovereignty over us? Who are we to refuse to cast off that which we have no capacity to contain, no capacity to, to resolve? For if we are not called to bear any of the loads that we insist upon carrying, why are we carrying them? We are not commissioned to hold on to some of life's problems and frustrations simply because we are intent on harboring them, simply because we are content upon holding on to them, but rather we are called to cast away all of our anxieties. And notice how many anxieties. All of our anxieties. And upon 
Who are we to cast them? Notice this. On God. For those who are truly humble are not those who are weighed down with their own anxieties and their own cares. I want you to think about that for a moment. Those who are truly humble are not weighed down by their anxieties. They've given them up. They've cast them away. They've given them to the Lord. They're no longer proud and holding on to them. They're no longer claiming secretly, I can solve this. I can figure this out. I can resolve this. The truth is, you can't. You can't resolve it. You can't carry it. You need to cast it upon him. All of your cares, all of your anxieties upon him. For those who insist upon carrying their own anxieties and cares are not humble at all, but they are proud. But the truly humble are those who seek God. The truly humble are those who seek him not only as the one who holds their time in their hand, but as the one who's fully capable of relieving them of their burdens and their anxieties. In fact, not only is God capable of doing all these things, but he's absolutely willing to do so. This is the part that needs to be stressed. We all know intellectually and theologically that he can. But the real question we wrestle with is, is he willing for me in my circumstances, given my weakness, given my failures, given my inconsistency, given my unfaithfulness? Is he willing to do it for me, for me? And he is absolutely willing to do it for you. Why is he willing? Peter tells us why here at the end of verse 7. And that is... I can't say this and do it justice. He cares for you. He cares for you. What a privilege it is to stand before you this morning and to tell you that. That he cares for you. He cares for you and me in a way that we can't even fathom. Jesus, thank you. This should be a great comfort to us as his people. For God's unwavering commitment, God's unwavering care for us is not merely formal. It's not merely legal. It's not merely done out of a sense of obligation. Not simply a duty that he fulfills in an uncaring and mechanical way or manner. But God genuinely and intimately cares for us. For while he has need for no one, I want you to think about this, while he has need for no one, while he is entirely self-sufficient, while he is in need of nothing outside of himself, he lives and exists in perfect bliss. God expresses his care and compassion towards us who are called and eternally safe in Jesus. 
In fact, brethren, this is one way that the gospel of Christ stands out from all other false religions. I want you to think about this for a moment, especially those who like to engage in apologetics. Christianity stands out from all other religions because in false religions, the emphasis is always on what man must do to get God's attention. What man must do to appease God. What man must do to earn God's favor. What man must do to make God take notice. Whether it's standing before a temple and clapping. Whether it's shouting. Whether it's beating a drum. Anything to get God's attention. Why? Because God is uncaring. But in the glorious gospel of God's Son, the Lord Jesus It is God who does the caring. It is God who initiates his expressions of concern. It is God who reaches down in sovereign grace and saves us. It is God who expresses his care for us as he holds our times in his hands and who promises to exalt us at the proper time. It is God who bids us to cast everything, yes, every anxiety that would so easily beset us upon him. Why? Because he cares. He cares. He doesn't want you carrying that burden. He doesn't want me carrying this burden. He cares. He loves us so much that he expresses his care and his word. It is God who bids us to cast everything upon him, knowing that his care is without question, without hesitation. Oh, dear people of God, accepted and beloved in Jesus Christ, rejoice in this good news today. You and I are under his mighty hand. His hand is committed to our care. He holds us in his hand as an object of affection. Did you hear that? An object of affection. And with intimate love, he says, cast all your cares upon. Humble yourselves now under the mighty, loving hand of God, and he will exalt you at the proper time. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we cannot express what your word declares so plainly, and that is the extent of your care for us. We cannot even begin to understand the love that you have for us, that love that sent your only begotten Son to us, that love that protects us from all forces that are mustered and opposing us, that love that bids us in mercy to cast all of our cares and anxieties upon him upon you for you care for us that love that promises to exalt us in due time father how we need this message today in our time in our lives in the span of time that you give us upon this earth we often question why we often wonder if we're going to be delivered 
We often wonder why we have to carry so much of a burden. And here in the Word of God, we find the answers to all those questions. Help us by your grace to understand the message that's being proclaimed to us and help us by faith to actually believe it, to act upon it, to know that you are willing to show yourself true to us, that you are truly a lover of our souls, that you intimately care for us in ways that we don't even understand yet. But one day in glory we will. And we pray that you would help us to not only be encouraged by these things today, but to ground our lives on your word. Continue to do a work in us. Draw us close to you. Help us, even this morning, even in this hour, to take those burdens and cares that we've been carrying for so long, to take those Worries that we've been giving safe harbor to for far too long in our lives and cast them to you. Cast away all of our anxieties knowing that you care for us. Give us the peace that comes in doing that by faith. Give us the peace that comes to us as a congregation when we all collectively let go of the past. When we all collectively Take all the things that we're worried about and concerned about and perplexed about and just give them to you and rest in your care for us as a people. Being confident that you know all about us and you know all about our needs and you will meet them in due time at the right time. Bless us with these truths today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.